0: Could it be you
1: calling me down, 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 down? That foolish heart turns out the be all that I am is all that you see. You don't need nobody.
0: Welcome to another episode of the Sports Monkey Podcast. Along with my colleague Sam Hengeli, I'm your host, Stephen Abramo. Today, we have the opportunity to speak with Kansas City Royals public address announcer, Mike McCartney. Mike, thanks for coming on today and talking with us. We appreciate the time.
2: I appreciate you having me, fellas. I do.
0: Sam and I, we're both Kansas Cityans, and every time we go to Royals games, that's really the only voice that we know is your voice when we go to the games. But just to start, both Sam and I are kind of interested in maybe how this career as an announcer started, you know, when you were a child or right. what, like when you were growing up. Did you have any interest in this?
2: Absolutely. We're up here in Kansas City too, so i bunch of Kansas City A's games back in the day. Dad would take me to those. But I started this, I had a radio career. I was uh, broadcasting, and the fellow that was doing it was a guy by the name of Jim Moore. And one time, he just said, hey, look, man, I have grandkids now, and this is the all season. He goes, I got grandkids now, and I don't want to do this job anymore because I want to spend some time with them. Put in your name. Are you interested? He so, said, absolutely. Let me do it. I went out and talked to him, and did an audition for him and they're like we could love you but we're not gonna hire you we're gonna hire this other guy who used to do it before jim moore did it so it's like oh no problem and they called me back said would you interested in me being a backup this guy can only work i don't know what it was 65 games a year i was involved in his church a lot did a lot of overseas missions and stuff so for the first three years 97 98 i uh I was the backup announcer, and Mm -hmm. uh, fun enjoyed it. And then I became full time in two thousand.
0: When you were a little bit younger, and then you kind of like were thinking about maybe taking this as a career, you know, I know like singers, like when they want to maybe become a singer, you know, they kind of use like a voice coach or something. Is that something that you ever like were interested in doing to kind of make sure that your voice was you know on par and professional?
2: No, I never had a coach. I never did voice coaching at all. You know, I paid attention to what the other people were doing, other people and other public address announcers were doing and how they approached it and and how they did it. I do basketball as well. I've done some other sports, but mainly with baseball, I just paid attention to what other baseball announcers Mm -hmm. were doing. I've kind of emulated them, but in my own style. It's not, you know, I've said this before, this is not a personality role. It's, it's an informational role. You know, It's, it's basically what you're doing. You're just information to the, to the fans, you know, who's at bat? Go buy a hot dog. You know, it's Buck Night. Da da da, da. Uh, So I didn't really. I just kind of emulated what other people did. And just kind of went that route. You know,
0: mm-hmm. who were some of the announcers that you kind of tried to emulate when you first started?
2: Back in the nineties, the internet wasn't really, so you couldn't hear a lot. So you- you basically were the ones that were available to you. And one was was the PA announcer for the Royals, the first PA announcer for the Royals. And I remember him growing up. So you, you kind of, how did he do it? You know, he wasn't screaming and yelling or anything like that. It was just very much informational. Uh, I mentioned Jim Moore and Dan Hurst, who did it before, too. So you just kind of, how did they do it? And they seemed to they seemed to be pretty good at it. So do, do what they're doing. How did you
1: uh, be able to earn the spot to be the uh, PA announcer as you are today?
2: Well, you know, when that opportunity came about, it was it was obviously pretty exciting. In the backup role, I auditioned and another guy got the job and he was a fellow by the name of Richard Mock. I didn't get the job. He got it first. Richard and I worked together. He was a newsman at KCMO Radio. Richard and I worked together. <laughs> And he went to the ballpark one the evening, his first time there, and everybody's going to kind of train him, sit in there. And I was on the air, and Richard came into my studio, and his eyes were real wide. And I said, Richard, what's the matter with you? And he goes, I just want to tell you that I'm not taking that job. And I said, well, why would you not want to take that job? He says, I don't get baseball because I'm not a fan, and I don't understand it. He goes, I just, there's too much going on. I can't do it. So he left the studio, and I picked it. He goes, I'm going to call the Royals and tell them that uh, i'm not taking the job so i gave him about 10 minutes and then i called him up and i said okay i understand this job's open so i went in that night so it was exciting the opportunity and at the time just to be a backup to vanners was uh, was a lot of fun so I, you know i learned a lot you know met people and a lot of them you kind of know you're in broadcasting so you know some of the people that are involved and just kind of went from there
1: Definitely, yeah. Definitely love the the sport you uh, you do. For uh, if you're going to be a PA announcer, you got to feel, able energize that passion. And great that how you were able to wait your time. And then once your time came, you uh, took at full advantage
2: of it. Um, right. Yeah. I think it was 2015. I got a call to do the NCAA the NCAA Final Four men's soccer championships that were held in holding at at Mercy Park. And I said, I, you know, I don't mind the job. I said, but I gotta tell you guys something. I don't know soccer. I don't understand soccer. I don't really love soccer. And they said, yeah, we just need a okay." So they said, don't worry, I'll tell you what to do. So I did uh, two soccer games out of Children's Mercy. You probably should understand and uh, have a good feel for the sport that you're uh, uh announcing and it's just even as a public address announcer which is informational it's not like play-by-play so if it were play-by-play do play-by-play soccer i'd say no, no absolutely no way mm-hmm. so yeah you really should understand what you're what you're doing and how you're approaching this thing
1: yeah yeah absolutely next question is um just a day-to-day routine uh, during the uh, Royals season. Uh, like, uh, what is the pregame process for uh, every uh,
2: Royals game that you announce? Well, typically, if it's a 7-10 game, I'll get there at 5 o'clock. Uh, then we'll have a pregame production meeting. It's the scoreboard operators, basically. Call it event presentation. And we'll get together and we'll just go over what's going on. Again, anything, any, anything going on during the game that we need to go over and we'll just go through every single from the time we crack the mic turn the scoreboard on and to the time we hit the bricks at the end of the game we have it pre planned and everything is programmed but down to the minute so we just go through all that Here, Here's who's throwing out the first pitch here's the uh, national anthem singer and their name so on and so forth so we go through this process and then i usually go, eat, go upstairs and eat dinner after that and then we go downstairs and so for a 7-10 game We probably start going about an hour ahead of time, usually. 50 minutes right in there. We do our pregame show, which has our two uh, in-game uh, hosts, and they do some fun game stuff, and then I do some public address the PA reads, and uh, then we get into the actual pre-game. pregame, course, our first pitches, or, hey, we're, we're giving an award to Whitmerry Field today. He's going to come out in the field along with Mike Matheny, and here's uh, somebody who did something great. We're going to recognize that So it, we go through all that stuff, and then, bang, it's game time, and it's let go, you know. So it's about a, two hours to one o'clock game. I'm there at 11.
1: Who was like, what was the hardest name that you had to pronounce? Like which was like a, a name of a player that you had to just practice over and over right before like the but, game
2: started? You know, there's several of them. It's funny when people ask me that, and I get asked that quite a bit. When you think about it, I always say there's two names. It's Seth Smith. He pitched for the what he pitched for the A's, I think, and the A's or something like that. But he come and tell me, like it'd be like Seth Smith. I just had the toughest time trying to get that name out of my mouth. Then the second one is anybody who has an apostrophe in the middle of their name. They're just kind of weird, you know. So those are the toughest ones. T-Lip Kai Hue was a one. Everybody would say that one different. And he played first base for us for a few years, some about ten years, and he was a tough one to just. You know, every time you announce him, you would get that go, man. I, I did I say that right? Well, everybody says it different. Like when I when I do basketball. It's tough because there's a lot of European players and they've got some big names with lots of syllables and, and their name has two dots above a letter or something like that. And you're like, how the heck you say that? I missed that day in school. So they're the toughest ones. But usually you ask a broadcaster, they a play-by-play guy, in years past you didn't understand the guy's name, you just go next door. to if you just say it three or four times, you're ready to go. Yeah, th- yeah, definitely.
1: Me and Steve are both KU fans. I remember when uh, we all saw Makai came into KU. I remember <laughs> I could not say his word at all, name at all at first. But then it took once I to listen to the broadcast over and over again, right. I got it.
2: You mentioned him. When he played at KU, I announced two games for the Jayhawks. I think it was his freshman year. as first year he played for KU. And I asked him, all I just said, man, he was playing and he was getting a lot of playing time. They just said, just see, Kyla. You just say it, say it, say it over and over again in your head and out loud and okay. You just hope you get it right.
1: When you did announcing for KU, was that at Allen, or was that like a, a Sprint Center game? No, 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 no.
2: It was uh, Allen Fieldhouse. One was a, was a non-conference game against, um, it was a team that was in UMKC's conference too, so I was familiar with them. California.
0: Cal Baptist?
2: Cal Baptist. Later, KU and Oklahoma State at Allen Fieldhouse. And that was, let me tell you something, that was a treat. I mean, that's like going to Yankee Stadium Must game. You know, because it's just a tradition in that place. It's just, it just, you can just feel it. You can when you walk in there, uh, the fans—they where you sit down, the fans are sitting directly behind you. And a funny story about that: the first time I did it, sat down, I'm ready. I got all the names down. They're like, hey, don't worry, Mike, you're gonna be fine." And so here comes the opposing team out to the court. You know, it's game time. Here they come. Oh, here, boo. And then, of course, here comes Ku. They come out. And this place is just going crazy. Well, you know, Bill Self always waits twenty seconds or so, and then he comes out after the team. Team, team out. Here come the Jayhawks. Everybody's going crazy. twenty seconds later, Bill Self comes out and he walks right past me and he looks down at me and he goes, "Don't screw it up." What? Shook hands with the opposing coach. Came back. He's the one who said, "So don't screw it up." Pretty funny. Oh, that's
1: awesome. I did not. Uh-huh. I did not know that at all. That you you've done a a
2: couple of game games that, and that's yeah. pretty cool. Really was really it. Really was a thrill. Yeah.
0: I mean, have you ever butchered a few names like that? You oh, absolutely sure, you knew know? that you missed, and then like if you did like butcher some of these names, did you ever get like you know feedback from these guys like Hey, you butchered my name. You
2: know, if you butcher a name, most most players get it because and here's an example: Doug McAvich, but the Royals that came up with the Minnesota twin and he spells his name. He spells his name. It's like M E I T E W. CZ, did did dip whatever, you know. He was a rookie, and I was a rookie, and I didn't ask anybody. So I just said, Mitch Witch or something like that. And one of the uh, press people, who's a friend of mine, came in and goes, Hey, Mike, I think that's Mitch K. I said, Oh, I should have known that. So whatever. So he went to the Twins Clubhouse after the game and says, What do you think the guy butchered your name there? And he goes, Man, that ain't the first time. That ain't the last time it's going to happen. Most of the guys, they know it's just like, uh, someone's going to do it. Someone's going to get it wrong. Denny Matthews tells a great story of, Back in spring training in the 80s, Mark Gubazaw pitched for the Royals. And he was pitching that day. This TV announcer came in to Danny and says, man, how do you say this guy's name? Because I can't figure this out. He says, it's Gubazaw. Gubazaw. D.A. Booth was next to his. And he said, he could see the guy, you know, practicing and practicing. And then when they came down to that, pitching today for the Royals, Mark so you know, it happens. to a story to tell. The one job you have is to get a guy's name right, if you don't get it right that's your own fault you know they want you to get it right
0: i don't know like have you ever been worried that you would like lose your job after butchering names i don't know
2: no 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 no, uh-uh. no not for that because i think you know, let's face it it's it's alive it's something that you do live so it happens you don't think you're gonna get fired is, is if you just say something totally inappropriate but no uh-uh. never not for screwing up a guy's name not at all mm-hmm. so i don't
1: go back to royals um what was the first uh royals lineup you announced we
2: played angels i believe it was i think we played the angels and this would have been 97. it was the angels on the line of a homestand and then i would was working three nights. So it did the Angels and then two Yankees games. There were three games. So the Angels was the first one I did in 97. I'm pretty sure. And my memory's not all of it. I'm 60 years old. I don't get a, I don't remember a lot of this stuff. I think I've got, you know, the lineup somewhere. I the basement in my archives, you know, but I'd have to look for it. I'm sure it's down there.
1: Definitely. Uh, here's a here's the one I really wanted to talk about with you, because this, this is actually the 20th anniversary of this, when uh, Mark Quinn uh, had the uh, record for the most consecutive at baths without an unintentional walk right. and then when mm. he actually drawed the walk like they shot out fireworks in the, yeah. the stands uh can you tell me like the background on that story yeah so at the time tony
2: muser was the manager but they were really working with mark to, to be patient and take some pitches you know take some pitches you need to draw some walks they were really working with them you just can't be hacking at everything so they're working with him and they call us user calls up and says hey If you get to walk, would you guys set off the firework? So we're like, sure, you know, so he gets up to that one. One night, ball three, and everybody's going get ready, get ready. And ball four, and Quinn's going down to first base, and off go the fireworks. Our sound guy starts playing uh, "Hallelujah" from the Mormon Tabernacle. It's just—he's it, it, madder than that, He's looking up at us. What's wrong with these guys? I'm going to go up there and start kicking some butt. And he looks over at the bench, and everybody on the Royals' bench is laughing. They're just, just bent over, just laughing, including Tony Muser, who was kind of a stone-faced guy. And it just—and of course, we had to get permission from because it's a time. Allard Baird was the general manager, and says, "Hey, we're, we're gonna, we're planning on doing this." And of course, he was like, "Go for it, you know." <laughs> I don't care. Dan Glass, who was uh, president, he was, like, "Ah, do it, go for it. Let's have fun out here today." You know, kind of put the crowd by surprise too. It's just like, this is our guy. What are they doing? And so then they kind of fell and they got it. And it's like, okay, this is Joe. We're giving this, giving this guy the business here. So <laughs> it was a lot of fun. And Quinn, I think he, he came around. He was like, "All right, I get it." Yeah. Oh, that, I didn't know that was that was that 20 years ago yeah that was
1: uh, 2001
2: oh my gosh yeah yeah Mark Quinn
1: he was he was like he looked at his like first two years he was like a pretty decent player
2: when he came on the scene his first game he had two home runs you know hey this is a, gonna be a guy and then you know well he was wrestling with a his brother kicked him and broke a couple ribs. It just and then he just kind of went downhill from there for the guy. Uh, he showed a lot of promise, but like I said, he you know he was just very impatient, you know, and he would just just hack at just about everything. Up there, you know.
1: I watched they had a, an MLB posted on YouTube of that game where he hit the two home runs and the mm-hmm. fighting was against the Angels. And Steve Busioff and Rex Huller were commentating for the Angels during this time. And, like, you just listen to Rex Heller, He was just going crazy the whole time. Like <laughs> It just seemed like it was, like, during that time, I felt like they were destined to be commentating the Royals and, like, the Angels, <laughs> which ended up happening. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, but uh, i I've forgotten it, it was against the Angels. Yeah, Some replays of that, but, yeah, it's yeah. weird to hear. Uh, Rex and uh, Fez uh, calling Angel's game. Steve, uh, he was calling the game, if you remember, about the same time when Steve Edmonds the center fielder made that fantastic catch in the center field against us. It was a back-to-the-play dive for that.
1: Yeah. Uh, what was the craziest game you witnessed
2: as a uh, Royals PA announcer? Oh well, easy—the 2014 wild card. That was uh, unbelievable, unbelievable. That was the A's go up on a seven to three, and they got what's his name pitching, and it just—you just your just confidence was just so low. You know, we brought in O'Donnell, and he gave up that bomb to the A's, and you just felt like, gosh, man, we're well, maybe we'll get him next year. I'll never forget Roger Mormon, who's our scoreboard operator, has been out there since 1973. I remember him and I had a conversation was, what are you going to do this offseason? It's like seventh inning. Then we come back. It was that one and then opening day in 2004, I believe it was, two home runs in the bottom of the ninth to win it. I think Carlos Beltran hit the game winner. That was a crazy game. I think we were playing the White Sox. And it was just, it was just exciting. It was unbelievable. 2003 was such a good year for the Royals. You were just sure this was going to be the greatest team ever and that hmm. this ended up being awful. So probably the wild card was that game and the playoff atmosphere and and the fact uh, it was playoffs. It was just uh, that was the lightiest game i ever witnessed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 24. I think, yeah,
1: that's still, to me, the greatest. So one of the greatest playoff games of all time. Get back to the 2003 season. Like, that was a really fun team to watch that year. That was the only team that finished over 500 in that 2000s decade. But one game I really liked from that 03 season was the, the one Royals-Yankees game where the Royals won that 13 nothing. Saw the stadium sold out. Jose Lima just firing up the crowd. And then Mendy mm-hmm. Lopez homering. In that game, too.
2: You know, in 2003, I wasn't with the Royals. I worked for them full time, and then we hired in 2001. Yeah. The Glass family took over, and they kind of cleaned a little bit of house in the front office, and they brought in a fellow who did. it was the director of marketing from the Texas Rangers. Well he came in and he just at the, end of the season. He said, I got my own guy from Texas and he's coming down. He's the greatest big announcer that ever lived. This guy came in the last year, split back for Texas.
0: Right. So you mentioned the 2014 wild card and you know Sam asked you and Sam said, you know, that was one of the craziest games that you know the Royals have played. You know, talk about the 2012 All-Star game when Kansas City and Coffin Stadium was on the national spotlight. And then the 2014-2015 World Series were going on. You know, those were really the three most, like, iconic moments of the Royals recently in a Coffin Stadium. And you, you know, you were the one that were given the lineups. You were kind of like the voice of Coffin Stadium at yeah. the time for, for people that were not, uh, you know, in the KC area. They were the people that were listening to you. So kind of how did that feel? Well, that
2: was a thrill. You know, you start with the All-Star game. There's so much involved in that because it started the Sunday with the Futures game. And then mm-hmm. after that, you do Celebrity Softball. So you got all these bigwigs running around these Hollywood nights. Uh, that's kind of fun. And then you got the Home Run Derby on Monday nights, What you try to do with something like that. And it all has so much packed into these three days. Uh, you try to take it in. just sit back and go think about where you're at kind of fun you need a lot of people the whole thing was uh, was a thrill the all-star game was that was a lot of fun to work it was the thing going on that night you realize that when you're when they throw it to you, and you're introducing the seventh inning stretch or anything you do pregame, that Fox, you realize that that's going around the world. You know, at that moment, try not to think about it at the time because you don't want to freeze. But that was really cool. And Just being there and the whole the whole thing is was unbelievably fun. I think in 2015, the Royals were uh, kind of a darling of Major League Baseball. I mean. We'd been so bad 10 years before that. Here we are going into making a run in the playoffs. And the nation kind of was like, ah, Royals, yeah, go Royals. And it was somebody new, somebody besides the same old teams, you know. The nation kind of, hey, here we are, you know. And so that was fun. And going through that playoff where we went undefeated against the Angels and the Orioles, you were so confident because you're playing the Giants. The Angels and the Orioles were good teams that year. They were very good. And going up against the Giants, who was another wild card team in the National League, and you thought your chances were pretty good. But they had the gun, man, with, you know, Bumgarner. So, but the whole atmosphere about it, and I tell you, I used to sit up there. The thing about when you're in a playoff or World, World Series in the crowds is everybody hangs on every single pitch. You know, yesterday, I might be talking to my director. Someone's up the bat. don't always see the pitch, you know. You might be just, you're relaxed, you know. It's, you're paying attention, but you're not on every single pitch. You are in those playoffs. And it got to the point where shoulders would hurt because it was so tense. You know, what am I doing? Muscles on my shoulders are killing me. And uh, I'd look down and I'd see, you know, there's Ned Yost. And he looks as relaxed as he did if it's an August 5th game, you know. And... (laughs) I actually saw him after that, and I told him that story. And He says, well, you know, what am I going to do? I can't get up tight." He goes, I've got, to, I've got to be somewhat relaxed. I told him, I said, I would get all uptight, and I'd get all my oh, shoulders hurt. And I said, I just looked down at you and see what the hell he is. He has a worry in the world. So I mean, it helped me relax a little bit, you know. It's very kind of intense, you know, mm-hmm. when it's your team. And when you, when you lose the World Series, you know how that feeling is. We may never get It was 29 years. We may never get back. Never. So it's a lot of fun
0: you know you talked about like the intensity you know I am curious about you know how much of, and you said you've grown up as a Royals fan like how much of that fan do you have to kind of take away though like when you're when you're a PA announcer because when the score is you know 10 nothing, or you know the, if the Royals are down 10 nothing, you kind of have to feel like you have to have an even keel when you announce these players names and I, I feel like that is so hard to do because it's so easy to get wound up in the emotions and like for the World Series like I can just imagine you know for instance I don't know. You know, when Alex Gordon hit that triple in the bottom of the ninth inning, as a fan, I would be so excited. And then, you know, when it comes to the, you know, when, when you had to announce uh, Salvador Perez in the next at bat you know you have to say even keel so kind of t- talk about you know staying even keel in all these you know intense moments
2: yeah and that's a good question it's kind of like this you know it's you have a level of enthusiasm for your home team for the royals i mean there's enthusiasm there in, in, in the game if somebody hits a home run for us royals home run in a crucial moment maybe it puts us ahead or gets us close and the crowd's going crazy the next guy who comes up he gets a real enthusiastic introduction you know the crowd's up now you get up and so that became up. You, you announce him as as if he's going to get that hit to tie the game. You know what I'm saying? Here he comes, the crowd's up, they're going crazy you don't scream and you don't go overboard but you give it a a little more boost of enthusiasm because the crowd's that way it's the same as if you're down you know you you don't want to be you know a sad sack up there you know now here's this guy you know so that's where you that's where you keep your level of intensity norm I would call it normal you know the opposing team you never ever announce them with any kind of oh this guy you know it's very straightforward announcement here he is you decide whether you want to boo or not or you know Mm -hmm. because I'm not going to be the guy to to be down on the other team Mm -hmm. so but with your team it's always the same level of enthusiasm until there's a crucial moment that happens and then you can kind of you can kind of lift that enthusiasm up a little bit Mm -hmm. uh kind of get the crowd
0: going you know you've covered you know a few college basketball games here and there you obviously mentioned that you you filled in for kansas basketball a few times and then you also do Uh umkc What's the difference, in your opinion, that you, that you see between, you know, announcing basketball and baseball games? And then maybe, like, what's the hardest uh, part of each sport? Well – So sometimes in baseball, there's not really, I
2: wouldn't say, I wouldn't call it hard part because I've done so many years. I don't, you anticipate so many things happening, you know, in basketball, the hardest part sometimes is missing a call. It happens so fast. You have to be paying attention to each play and watching the referees and communicating, you know, any of the officials basketball, you get to communicate with the umpires. You know, they have hand signals and with an umpire, with a referee in basketball, if you don't understand something, you didn't see who he called the foul on, you can call him over. I man him. And it always number 25. Okay, boom. Then you can announce. So you, there's a communication there that you don't have in baseball, but there's also a lot more interaction with officials in basketball than there is in baseball. There's the umpire in a baseball game will signal me when there's a pinch hitter and I'm to wait for his acknowledgement, the umpire's acknowledgement. The guy's not officially in the game until the umpire says he is. So if I announce him ahead of time before the umpire officially puts him in. They could pull him back, and then, and then what do you do? Is it official now that I've announced it, or is it official because because the umpire did or did not you know signal him into the game? That can be kind of a you have to watch that stuff. Other than that, it's it's you know you, you do so many games and tend to overcome some of the harder things that happen. You can't think of a, you know a moment that was real difficult. There's been times where I didn't understand what was going on, maybe in terms of substitutions, for instance, or for example, years ago I did not. Know that when a game is played under protest, you have to, the public address announcer has to announce that it is. I never knew that, and so this is I don't know when this was two thousand five, two thousand six. I don't remember who we were playing. They argued a call, and manager came announce- out. Told the home planet umpire, he's playing the game under protest. So the umpire will turn around, he'll look and he'll just make with his hand a, 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 just the a, a letter P, it means protest. And then I'm to announce, hey, you know, the White Tucks have indicated playing this game under protest. Well, after the game, and I didn't say anything because I didn't know, and after the game, he called up to know, whoever it was up in our communications director of, uh, press box and said, What's wrong with your guy, man? How come he didn't announce that you're supposed to announce that? And they go, Yeah, you got to announce it. I said, Well, I had no idea. And it only happened once, and that was a few years ago. And so I caught it. I said, okay, I'll announce that. So, uh, so that's one thing. Probably is you got to be you know. Basketball, like on technical fouls, if there's a fight, something like that, come over and he'll explain <laughs> it to you. He's like, okay, this is a classic a technical beach team shooting, that so on and so forth. And he can explain it to you, and then you can communicate that to the crowd. But you can't do that in baseball. Right. But basketball, yeah, you know, I
1: notice like every time I watch, like whether it's a college or NBA game, you see like the referee going to like the broadcast booth, and then mm-hmm. you, you just see on camera him like. It explaining everything, you don't get that in baseball. And was the last game where you announced that this game's under protest? Was that the Royals-Angels game in 2016 when Mondesi yeah. was, like, running down and they thought, like, he was in the grass too far out? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember I was at I was, I was that Royals-Angels
2: game, too. You've got a good memory, man.
1: Yeah. I have one, one question up. If you weren't a, if you weren't the PA announcer for the Royals, what MLB team would you want to be a PA announcer
2: for? <laughs> I don't know i really honestly, I don't know you know I'm, I'm kind of a fan of the Brewers I was born in Milwaukee my dad my mom in Milwaukee and I've got a lot of relatives up there and whenever we go visit in the summertime we'd always go to a Brewers game at Old County Stadium so I kind of follow them a little bit you know growing up I was a Cardinals fan I remember I'd listen to them on the radio we had the A's and the A's weren't that good and then the year that they were gone at 68 uh, I had my first chance at Durago. and I listened to Jack Buck and Harry Carey Cardinals broadcast and they'd be out of St. Joe and I'd sit there and listen to them and they, I mean, they, they the won the World Series that year and I, they had Bob Gibson and you know, Lou Brock and it, it was just a lot of fun so I'd listen practically every, every one of their games on the radio I love the Cardinals you know I don't know I wouldn't pick any one of them if, if I wouldn't do it because it's, it's a fun job it's fun to be around and be involved in a Major League Baseball game and there's few of us there's 30 of us well there's some teams use two but there's so there's there's a few of us there's 30 of us in this world and it's kind of a privilege to be able to do it to be able to be involved in it mm-hmm. you know?
0: So, yeah. Yeah, for um, sure, man. Well, you know, Sam and I really have really appreciated you taking the time and talking about, you know, your experiences, you know, as the PA announcer for the Royals and then, you know, some other stories about, you know, covering the Royals over the years. We've appreciated your time talking to us.
2: I appreciate you having me on. I, I uh, don't often get to do stuff like this, so it's kind of fun to talk about a team, a part of uh, the game that, you know, they know there's an announcer there, but, you know, they don't know who it is or what it is, and so it's kind of fun to be able to relate stories you guys. And I appreciate you. Thank you, Mike.
1: Yeah,
0: thanks, Mike. Have a good one.
2: Oh
1: thanks, guys. All that I have is all that you see
0: You don't need nobody else And you're putting this all on me Forget it